Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 98. Talking Turkey with Andy Galliano, the turkey hitman. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, this is Dan Bergeron with the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department, and you're listening to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. It's a great show for some good information on all things deer hunting. Hey, everyone, this is Daniel Lee Martin with Brotherhood Outdoors, and you are in the right place. You are listening to my good buddies over there at the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Julie McQueen with Brotherhood Outdoors, and you are listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes, the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is Jay Scott, your host of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm also here with my good buddy, Dusty Phillips, fresh off a turkey hunt. What's happening, Dusty? Oh, man. Still jazzed up about it, man. There, there's nothing better than a, a big, long beard coming in Goblin Jay. I just, I, you know, it's one of the things where I've heard a lot about it, and, and I've heard a negative side to turkey hunting. You know, a lot of people give me a little bit of a negative side of turkey hunting, and I'm like, man, you know, I don't, I don't want to experience the negative side that people's talking about. Right. So I went about it that I want a call a gobbler in, and, and I want this gobbler to come in strutting, live action style to a decoy. And that's exactly what happened, man. It was one of them great experiences that, uh, man, it, if you haven't never experienced turkey hunting, you need to, to go try it out, and the, the rush will give you the answer if you're going to go back or not. Right. That's awesome, man. So we're going off the reservation here a little bit. And that's okay. We, we like to go off the a little bit every now and then. Yeah, we're off subject. We're going to go off subject. Be, as different as this show is going to be, yeah, I think it's still very relevant because if you're a deer hunter, you really should experience turkey hunting because it's, it's what is it, almost six months difference from when you start deer hunting, thereabouts. Kind of kind of recharges your batteries and gets you in that mindset and keeps you sharp and fresh. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, getting out and turkey hunting definitely re-energizes your batteries and, and it gives you something to look forward to come springtime when there really ain't a whole lot going on in the woods. Right. Yeah, that's that it's that time of year where you can actually enjoy being outside. There's, it's not so cold. It's not too. The snow's not that deep. Um, it's but in New Hampshire we still had some snow at the beginning of, of turkey season, but now it's gone and. We decided to turn to our good friend and fellow podcaster, Andy Galliano from the Turkey Hunter Podcast. He is a so modest, but he is extremely good at, at turkey hunting. And I thought of, there's really nobody better, I think, that, that suits us to change it up a little bit this time, this week, and go turkey hunting with Andy and learn all the things he's he knows and has learned about while he has interviewed some amazing turkey hunters along the way, much like what we do here, interviewing great deer hunters. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I did my research right, Andy's got three Grand Slams under his belt. He travels the 
to a lot of places turkey hunting. You know, we got a veteran from the the Turkey Woods coming on the show. Yes, we do, and I love it. And and he's also a fellow member of the Outdoor Podcast Channel, which you can find on iTunes over at the or at the outdoorpodcastchannel.com. So we have a lot in common and we've become very good friends with Andy over the last year or so since I discovered his podcast. Of course, I love reaching out to outdoor podcasters and finding out what they're all about and and just kind of becoming friends because I think it's important as hunters should be friends, so should outdoor podcasters in general. So I think it's a good idea. Um Jay, what do we got going on with sponsors right now? Well, what we've got, we've got a whole page dedicated to accepting new sponsorships for the show. If you have, if you're if you have an outdoor product that you would like to launch to a, a an incredible nation of big buck deer hunters, then this is the place to do it and it's extremely extremely affordable and all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash sponsor and you can read all about it you can read about our entire big buck nation who we are the number of downloads we get and how your dollars can work for you to get your product promoted we've got some great tips and we a lot of the things that we do go quite far and you wouldn't necessarily think that a podcast goes very far but our download numbers are at the top of the chart. So if you want to get your product promoted and it's a deer hunting related product, this is the place to do it. Bigbuckregistry.com forward slash sponsor. Now we have also set up a pledge page. So if you're a listener to the show, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. And you can actually say, hey, I'll give you a dollar a show, whatever you want to do. $2 a show, $5 a show. Every time we produce a show, you can pledge an amount that will come to the show to help us pay and keep this show going so that's what, that's what we've got going on yeah we, we much appreciate anybody that uh pledges in and offers us anything absolutely anything is greatly appreciated everybody that's sent in money so far we man it, it's just so nice to see some some dollars in our account to help pay the bills it just helps us keep this show alive and well and uh man it's just awesome Hey, what do you say we go turkey hunting with Andy Galliano? Absolutely. Let's get Andy on the line. Let's get him on. Andy Galliano, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How's it going, Andy? Everything's going well, Jay. How about with you? Well, quite well. You know, I thought it was appropriate to go a little off subject with the, the deer hunting podcast because nobody's deer hunting this time of year. And I thought it would be a good idea to talk some turkey hunting because there are some things that are happening across the country that there are a lot of deer hunters that also do this. And I couldn't think of anybody better than my good friend Andy Galliano from the Turkey Hunter Podcast to talk to us about turkey hunting. So thanks for, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I always love to talk turkeys. Yeah, and I've been on your show, and I shared what I know about turkey hunting, and it is a passion of mine, as as it is of yours. And you know, we we talk deer hunting all the time, and uh, I think, I mean, in reality, I think if if you're not turkey hunting well when the season comes around, and and or just if you just avoid it because you're just a deer hunter, I think you're missing a big piece of hunting in general. No doubt, you know, and. To me, hunting, deer hunting in the South is much different than what the type of hunting that goes on in the Northeast or even in the Midwest 
where there is more interaction with the animal. In the South, we are very set on going and sitting in a tree stand and where I live because the deer density is so high, rattling does very little during the rut. And, you know, it really is just a matter of luck Hmm. as to whether a deer comes by you, period. And if that deer happens to be a buck, and if that buck happens to be big enough to shoot. And while there is a great deal of luck that we all need when we go turkey hunting, there's much more interaction with the animal. And to a certain extent, you control your own success. And the bird has a great deal of say in that. Right. But, you know, there's, for those people out there who are not turkey hunting, you're missing out on what has to be the most special thing going on in the woods, period. You know, you you get to experience not only the world waking up from a long winter's nap, but you also get to experience the world waking up every single day and the woods coming alive with all the Tweety Bird's chirping and everything going on and it's just you know it's really a an experience that encompasses all of the senses and there's just nothing like it in my opinion of course i am a little bit biased (laughs) you do have a podcast about turkey hunting of course i do i do and you know i'm i'm dedicated to it what can i say you are as we are to the deer hunting podcast and uh, we love you for it man it's it's uh it's, it's kind of rare that you you find a fellow podcaster to hang out with. So when I get to do a show with another podcaster, I'm, I'm pretty psyched because we're kind of a rare breed when it comes down to it. We're gluttons for punishment is the best way I can describe it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a labor of love. It is. It is. It's uh, it's one of those, those things that you, you really have to love it, um, much like – uh, I think I think deer hunting and turkey hunting similar kind of thing. Like there's there's effort, there's energy, but you have to love it to engage in it. No question about it. No doubt. And you know, really I'm we have so many similarities in being podcasters in that I do a turkey hunting podcast so I can help others learn, but there is a huge secondary benefit in me doing a podcast, and that is that I get to learn along the way as well. And I know from talking to you And talking to Dusty, it's the same way with you guys. And you get to learn a great deal about deer hunting by talking to people who deer hunt more than you do and people who get to deer hunt for a living. And so, you know, we are fortunate in the respect that we do have this labor of love, but it helps us to be better in our hobbies and our passions. Bingo. Bingo, bingo. That is so true. Uh, you're a deer hunter too, Andy. I, I know because every time we talk by Skype, you've, I can always see the big deer hanging on your wall. <laughs> yes. And we've talked about those deer before. And Yeah. Um, th- tell us about some of your deer hunting experiences. and We'll, we'll, we'll turn it into some more turkey hunting after that. But t- tell me about some of the, the big racks you got hanging on your wall. Well, you know, most of the big racks hanging on my wall – By standards in Iowa and Illinois, nowadays Kentucky, Ohio, in the Midwestern standards, the racks on my wall would not be big. They would be deer that most people who hunt there religiously would let go. But in Alabama, to shoot a 130, 140 class buck, and I'm not scoffing at that at all, at the size of that deer. But to shoot that deer, that is 
a trophy of a lifetime in Alabama. And I have been fortunate in my lifetime to travel a great deal and hunt. I love to travel and I love to hunt. When I can marry those two together, there's not a happier dude on the face of the earth. And I went to Iowa about eight years ago and hunted there and killed a very nice 12-point that has split brow tines, about 150-inch deer. And I shot him, and the guy I'm, I was hunting with an outfitter, and, and he and I are friends. And I shot the deer, and he came by after I shot and to help me load the deer up. And he walks over, and he looks at the deer, and he says, man, congratulations, but you just shot my son's booner for next year. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I said, well, that makes me feel bad because you said it was your son's booner, but right now he's my almost booner and he's good enough. (laughs) So your son will have to find him another one. Oh, that's awesome. But, you know, I've, I've been to Iowa and deer hunted. I have been to Wyoming and mule deer hunted and killed a monster of a mule deer. I was 15 years old hunting with a gun that my dad made me for my 15th birthday. He built the gun for my 15th birthday and then took me on a a mule deer and antelope hunt in Wyoming. Smokes, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I... I don't, I have never had the mule deer measured, but he is a monster. And that's one of the deer that you see in my photo there on Skype. Um, I don't even know why I took that particular picture as my image. I guess I figured people would much rather look at a monster mule deer than my ugly mug. But, (laughs) you know, in Alabama, I have, the biggest deer that I've killed in Alabama is about 125 to 130 inch deer. Beautiful, symmetrical rack, very nice, tall tines, very wide. Uh, I mean, it's a very nice deer and representative of what we kill in Alabama. Okay. I was just about to ask you, is that a typical buck for the Alabama parts where you are? Yeah, there are a lot of people in Alabama who have hunted for many years who would love to have a deer that looks like that. And so, you know, I would say that that type of deer is in some parts of the state is pretty average for for what people would kill and call a trophy and in other parts of the state he's a monster for what people would kill and call a trophy gotcha so yeah you know we do occasionally in alabama kill those boone and crockett bucks right they are isolated and very rare as they are pretty much anywhere but i think my biggest gripe about the deer hunting in Alabama is what's happened to our habitat over the years. Hmm. I remember growing up reading all of these magazines, hunting magazines about hunting the black belt in Alabama. There was nothing better than hunting the black belt in Alabama with all of the farming and agriculture that was going on. The deer had a lot to eat and they grew huge racks. And I mean, it was magazine after magazine after magazine that had articles about hunting the black belt in Alabama and the black belt. For those of you that don't don't know is just a strip of land that runs through central Alabama where the soil is black and it's very rich in nutrients. And at the time there was a lot of farming that was going on at the time. Um, Cotton, corn, soybeans, primarily cotton and soybeans. A lot of that, a lot of the farmers were growing those two crops. And so with the soybeans, the deer had a lot of protein to eat. They grew some pretty big racks. Well, the way the 
world of farming has globalized. Right. Farmers in Alabama have realized that if they grow pine trees, they don't have to worry about competition from overseas farming. They don't have to worry about competition from farmers in Iowa and in the Midwest. They don't have to worry about the droughts. They don't have to worry about the years when we get too much rain and it kills the crops. And growing pine trees is not labor intensive. Yeah, they're just like big weeds. Exactly. So a lot of that farmland, a lot of that black belt dirt has turned into pine tree farms. And deer don't grow very big when they eat pine cones or pine needles. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) And they don't eat them a whole lot either. So they kind of stay pretty skinny. So, you know, the deer hunting in Alabama, the quality of the deer in Alabama, I would say, has gone downhill a little bit. But it's still a great way to get out into the woods. And I use it to scout for turkeys. Gotcha. Now, my dad absolutely loves it. He is 72 years old, has probably killed, this is no joke, I I think I'm underestimating the number, 300 deer in his lifetime. Wow. And acts like he has never killed one before when he squeezes a trigger on one. Is that right? Yes. He's still got that that passion. He definitely does. And so I told myself years ago, I said, you know, as much as I am over deer hunting and don't necessarily want to go every single weekend. I'm going to go every single weekend as long as he's around. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to do that. Yeah. I don't ever want that day to roll around when I say, I wish I would have. Right. right. And so because he's going all the time, I'm going all the time and I do use it a lot as a tool to scout for turkeys, as a way to scout for turkeys. And now in Alabama, our season where I hunt in Southwest Alabama Our deer season ends February the 10th. Our turkey season comes in March the 15th. (laughs) So you have like very little time in between. Yeah. Wow. So where I'm seeing turkeys at the end of deer season, the first week to two weeks of turkey season, I'm seeing turkeys in those same spot, those same spots. So it's a great way for me to scout and, and stay out there. Plus that time of year is when our deer where I hunt, are rutting and they rut very late. And I have even seen bucks chasing does at our hunting camp the first week of April. Wow. Yeah. It's a whole different world down there from, from where I am. And, and Dusty, there's some stuff that doesn't even happen in Ohio. Um, I mean, this, that you get down that far south and things change completely. That's yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It's pretty interesting yeah. for sure. So t- tell me about your seasons. So you, this, your turkey season opens typically in March. Yeah. Our season opens, we are right in there neck and neck with Mississippi. There is a piece of Florida that opens earlier than us, I think a week to 10 days earlier than Alabama opens. And this year, Mississippi and Alabama opened on the same day, which was March the 14th. Okay. Because the 15th rolled in on a Sunday and the state was kind enough to say, you know what, we're going to give you Saturday as well. So they bumped it to March the 14th. Um, So Alabama is one of the first states that offers turkey hunting. And it runs from March the 15th until the end of April. 
And depending on where you are in the state, from southern Alabama to northern Alabama, there's a pretty big swing between what the turkeys are doing early in the season and all the way through the end of the season. Like where I hunt in southwest Alabama, the very first two weekends of season, the turkeys are starting to get away from the hens a little bit. Okay. I should say the hens are starting to get away from the gobblers a little bit. And they're callable. And then it's that way for about the first four weeks of the season. And then the last two weeks of season, it is winding down and it's harder to find that gobbler who's interested. Okay. Whereas you can go to the northern part of the state, even the central part of the state up to the north, and that end of the season, the turkeys are tripping over themselves to get to you. And Early in the season, you can't buy a turkey gobbling. Interesting. I mean, it's okay. it's really difficult. So, you know, you get that because the state is relatively long north to south. We get a pretty big variation in when the turkeys are acting like turkeys. Gotcha. Okay. So, March 14th is when your season typically opens. Can you count on that every year from now on, or is it, does that change up year to year? In the past... Our season, well, I'll answer your question this way. For years, our season opened March the 20th. And every year we have our game and fish department's board has a meeting and they set the seasons and all of the, the rules and regulations for our game laws. And about, oh, I would say 12, 13 years ago, they decided to open our season up five days earlier on March the 15th. Okay. And so for that period of time to present, it's been March the 15th. The state gave us one extra day because season came in on a Sunday and they wanted us to have a a Saturday to go with it this year. So it opened March the 14th. But yeah, it is typically March the 15th through the end of April and is that way every year. Now, our population in Alabama is down just like it is in a lot of areas across the country. And because of that, the state is considering moving our season, making it a little bit shorter. Okay. And also possibly lowering the number of limit, uh, the number of turkeys that we can kill in a season. Right now, we're allowed to kill five turkeys a season, which is an astronomical number of turkeys when you look at it, that bag limit across the country. And right. so. Right. What they end up doing, Lord only knows, but I wouldn't necessarily object to them shortening the season to 30 days and letting us have three birds. Gotcha. Three birds Three birds are plenty. Right. And, you know, for most turkey hunters are not killing their, their five bird limit a year. They're killing two to three birds a year. So, you know, you can say, well, what harm is it doing then by having a five bird limit? Well, I tell you, really a hidden benefit of having shorter season and well not necessarily a shorter season but by having lower bag limits is if I kill my first my three birds if my limit's three in the state and I kill my three birds the first two to three weeks of season I'm not going to stop going to the woods so Hmm. what I'm going to do from that point is I'm going to start taking people and that's an opportunity to introduce new people to the sport so you know, to me, I think that there's, and that's a hidden benefit. Of course, the major benefit is for those people who are killing five birds a year and and do kill five a year every single year, you're cutting back, and that's two more birds a year 
that'll be left over for someone else to kill or left over for next season. Right. Gotcha. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think that as I travel around the country and I hunt other states, I have learned that it's not necessarily about the quantity of the hunting as much as it is the quality. Right. And I think that the quality of our hunting in Alabama, deer hunting and turkey hunting has gone down over the past several years. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. You know, we can make some changes and they don't have to necessarily be permanent changes. But the state is, I'm going to commend the state on what they're doing. They're surveying hunters. And right now with the internet, we all know how easy that is to do. Sure, right. So they're surveying hunters saying, what was your experience this season compared to last season? Did you hear more gobbling or less gobbling? Do you think the turkey population is higher or lower than it was last year? What about the last, what about five years ago? What about 10 years ago? So hopefully with that input that they get from us hunters who are in the woods every single day, they'll be able to make some changes to what's going on as far as our season length, when the season starts, when it ends, and our bag limit as well, and really improve the quality of the hunting in the state. Gotcha. That's fascinating. So March, mid-March somewhere is where you usually start. Mm-hmm. And then what's the end date typically? April 30. April 30. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting around here right now with my bottom lip poked out, living vicariously through others on my Facebook page. <laughs> and I hear a rumor that Dusty's killed a turkey here recently and I can't wait to hear a story about that. Exactly. But, you know, I'm I'm soaking up everyone else's turkey hunts right now, just like they were soaking mine up the first three, four, five weeks of the Alabama season. Right. Now, Dusty, your season, let's, let's kind of transition from Alabama, which is a very popular, well-known turkey state. I mean, it's... It is. Like, yeah. When I think of turkey hunting, instantly I think Alabama, always. I'll move north a bit to Ohio, where Dusty is. Dusty, where does your season start? Turkey season here in Ohio, Jay, opens up April the 20th, and it closes on May 17th. Okay, gotcha. Now go even further north to New Hampshire, where I am. Turkey season just opened two days ago, May 3rd, and goes through May 31st. Mm-hmm. So as a diehard turkey hunter, would you start in Alabama and then kind of gradually finish up in the northeast where where probably is ending last is that something that you would do that is exactly what i do do gotcha every year my buddies and i and i've got a group of friends from college we go on a trip out of state every year chasing turkeys it's a great way to extend our season and experience hunting in other states and other areas i get tired of looking at the same trees every day Sure. So get to go look at some different trees and hunt turkeys in different states. And that's what we do. We start out early in Alabama and we have extended our season into the middle of May most years. Um, I still have, well, let me say this. Our goal in doing this is to kill a turkey in every state that has turkeys. Oh, wow. Yes. So 49 states. And as of right now, I've got... I believe 16 states that I have been successful in. And this year I've got on the radar screen, Indiana and Ohio. Nice. We leave very soon for Indiana and we'll close out the season there and then travel to Ohio and close out their season there and then head back to Alabama to really have my bottom lip poked out for 
about nine and a half months. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, Andy, tell me about what what is this Grand Slam I hear about all the time? Yeah, the Grand Slam is shooting at least one of the four subspecies of wild turkeys in the U.S. So throughout the U.S., there are four different subspecies of wild turkeys. We have the Osceola turkey that lives only in Florida. Okay. And only in the southern half of Florida, really. Interesting. The okay. birds, yeah, those Osceola are, and the differences in the four birds are not only physical, but they're different in how they act and react as well. Hmm. The Osceolas are very wary and woods-wise turkeys. People ask me, what is the hardest turkey to kill? And almost everyone immediately thinks of an eastern, but the Osceola is extremely hard to kill. Hmm. They do not gobble as much, typically, as an eastern, and especially not as much as a Rio or a Merriam's. And they, to me, they have a master's in woodsmanship, whereas an Eastern, I would say, has an undergrad in woodsmanship. Okay, gotcha. The Eastern turkey is the turkey that is primarily located east of the Mississippi River. There are areas west of the Mississippi River that have Easterns, but they also have other subspecies of turkeys. The Eastern turkey is the one that I would say is the most hunted because it is the most populous. Okay. There's, that's the largest population of that subspecies has the largest population of any of the subspecies. The Eastern turkey, since the majority of people listening to this podcast will be hunting that turkey, are probably familiar with it to an extent, whether they hunt it or they just see it during deer season. But they are very wary and very hard to hunt. I have noticed that as you travel around from area to area, the turkey hunting really depends on the amount of pressure that the birds get, not only from other hunters, but from predators and the like. So turkeys in Alabama are extremely pressured and they don't gobble a whole lot. They're hard to hunt. But as you go to an area like Missouri, they are they gobble a good bit better. There are a large number of turkeys there, and they're a little bit easier to hunt just okay. because there there is such a large number of turkeys. So another subspecies of turkeys would be the Rio Grande turkey. Okay, and those are typically your southwestern turkeys, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, primarily are the areas that you'll find Rio Grande turkeys in. Those turkeys are very good gobbling turkeys. They'll gobble up during the day just as well as they will in the morning right on the roost. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they are very callable. They're very social. They're very vocal. They're a lot of fun to hunt. They, their temperament varies a good bit with pressure as well. And when you go to an area like Texas, when people think of hunting Rio Grande turkeys, they always seem to immediately think of hunting in Texas. The birds in Texas do get a good bit of pressure on them, and they can be very tough to hunt. So Rio Grandes are a lot of fun. Probably my favorite turkey that we have in the U.S. is the Merriam's subspecies. Okay. Those turkeys typically live in higher elevations. In the western part of the U.S., Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, New Mexico, those areas have Merriam's turkeys. 
the Miriams, to me, why they're my most favorite turkey to hunt is they gobble a lot. Really? Oh, that's interesting. They gobble a lot. And they'll gobble when it's pitch black dark. (laughs) They will come to a call from what seems like a mile away and probably is. And they make you feel like you're the best turkey hunter in the world. I could use a few of those. (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about trying to import them into Alabama, but I I don't know that it's worth the risk. But another reason why they're my favorite bird is that they have white tips on their their fan and their secondary feathers Hmm. have white tips on them as well. They are beautiful, beautiful turkeys. And the Rio Grande is another very pretty turkey. It has a buff color, kind of like a, you know, the eastern has, will vary anywhere from a brown to a tan, a dark tan tip on the end of the, of the tail fan. Yep. The Rio is more of a buff. It's, it's somewhere between that brown, tannish color and the white of the Merriams, and they're very pretty turkeys. And each one of the subspecies actually, in the feathers on their body, they have different colored iridescence to them. And so all of the subspecies that we have here in the U.S. are very unique in the way that they act and the way that they look. And killing a Grand Slam is killing one of each of those subspecies. Gotcha. Okay. And now, have you completed the Grand Slam? I have. I have actually three Grand Slams under my belt. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, to me, you're a serious turkey hunter. I mean, just one Grand Slam would be plenty, but you've got three of them. So... I would consider you an expert turkey hunter under that circumstance. Well, you got much higher opinion of me than I do. Now, I knew you were going to say that because you've always been very <laughs> modest with me. But I know for sure that you know what you're doing. <laughs> I've I've been around the block a little bit. I got serious about – well, I started turkey hunting when I was in college. My dad did not introduce me to turkey hunting. In the spring, he was always working. He was in the – the landscape and nursery business, garden center business. And so springtime, he was always busy. And I always helped him when I was growing up, started working for him probably. I'm not going to say the age because there's probably some child labor laws out there somewhere. But (laughs) when I went to college and quit working for him during the spring, a buddy of mine said, hey, let's go turkey hunting. And so I got interested in it then. And Killed my first turkey when I was about 24. Yeah, I think I was 24 years old when I killed my first turkey. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's wrong. When I called my first turkey in myself, I was 24. Okay. I killed my first turkey at the age of 21. Okay. And at the age of 24, called in my first bird on private land. Yep. Called him in and killed him. And from there, I have been, to use the Southern phrase, eat up with it right. since. And I really got, I mean, like so eat up with it that I hunt every single day. That started for me about 15 years ago. Wow. That's awesome. So you, you're hunting turkeys every and single day. So I was about 20. Yeah. Every single day that wow. the weather permits. That's awesome. Yeah. And this year work kept me away a couple of days. So can't complain about that because uh, my creditors still like to get paid with green money and not turkey feathers. Have you you tried that? 
I've sent my mortgage company a couple of packages of turkey feathers, and <laughs> they still came after me for a payment. I'm not real sure why. You know, I call bullcrap on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, turkey a, feathers. an iridescent bronze turkey feather should be legal tender, if you ask me. I'm sure yeah, that's agreed. Uh, at some some point, it must have been legal tender. I have to agree with you. It probably was. <laughs> it probably, but to, by today's standards, is is not acceptable. I don't think. All right, all right. It's not. Pla- it's not plastic. That's why. That's true. Very true. <laughs> and, and it hasn't been devalued, so you know it's it should be worth more than right. one greenback. But yeah, I got I got real serious about it about 15 years ago. And during that period of time, I have really learned to turkey hunt the hard way Hmm. through trial and error. And that's one of the things with my podcast that I try to prevent people from doing is being me. If I can get someone introduced to the sport of turkey hunting and they can go out into the woods and have success, whether it's their first season or their second season, they're more likely to continue. Not everyone's as stubborn as I was and still am. (laughs) <laughs> and getting duped by a turkey year after year after year, all it did was just piss me off Right. so that I wanted to go more and more and more. And so that's how I ended up staying after it. But most people, like I said, are not like me. And if they don't have success with something, pretty soon they'll quit. And it's important to all of us outdoors people that we get people interested in the sport that we love whether that's deer hunting, turkey hunting, squirrel hunting, whatever it happens to be, rabbits, coyotes, whatever it happens to be. We get them interested and we keep them interested because that is the future of our sport. And we all know that the antis, the bunny huggers and the tree huggers are doing very little, if nothing, to support conservation in this country. Right. I completely agree. So if you want your children and your grandchildren to be able to see the number of turkeys and the number of deer that you see now, it's important that our sport continues on, our sport of hunting continues on, because those dollars that are being spent on hunting licenses and firearms and ammunition and clothing and everything else that we buy to to hunt, those tax dollars are going right back into conserving the animals that we're pursuing. So that's, I'm off the soapbox about that. I'm I'm (laughs) not going to stay on it, but you know, that's really why I started the podcast was to encourage people, give them a little bit of advice and not have them learn to hunt, to turkey hunt the way that I did. And so I share some of the tips and secrets that my old friend, Tom, the turkey has taught me over the years. I share those on the podcast, and I also have people who are by far better turkey hunters and turkey callers on the show than I am, and I'm able to learn from them, just like I mentioned earlier. Uh, I love your show, and uh, it was I was introduced to it one one year. Uh, was it, I forget exactly when you started. It wasn't too long ago, um, but I was fishing trout on the banks of the French pond with my son, and of course, that means that I'm sitting back because we're waiting for a trout to bite because we're not out in our, our boat or anything. So you wait for them to bite. And of course, he's bouncing around trying to catch the pumpkin seeds and the, the smaller fish that are, you know, more, more likely to bite. And yeah, I'm just sitting there on the shore in my chair, letting him have fun. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Cause I, I'm, the, the trout aren't biting all the time. And, 
I turned to my iPhone, and turkey season's just a few days away. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, in, in one of the top-ranked podcasts in the outdoor category is the Turkey Hunter podcast. I'm like, this is perfect timing. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> get any better than this. So, boom, click it on. And I believe the first one that I listened to was with Tom Kelly. Uh, yeah. And I noticed that it was an explicit rating. So, I have to listen to this one. <laughs> this one is going to be awesome. So, I said, I don't know who this guy is. Apparently, he's doing something right because he was highly ranked in iTunes. And I was, just, my brain was on turkey hunting at that point, but I, I wanted something to kind of get it really revved up, you know? So, yeah. and it did, it, it, it just opened up my mind to some other like, tactics and ideas. And I'm, my mind, my brain was buzzing with all kinds of different thoughts about some strategies that I wanted to try and incorporate and just learning from what you were talking about and what he was talking about. So I, I thank you uh, for doing all that stuff. And just like people thank us for doing the deer hunting podcast, I thank you for creating the turkey hunting podcast because it really gets me going, uh, especially when turkey season is up, up upon me, and I can live vicariously through that show. Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and, you know, it's the show's ever-changing and evolving, and the I go back and listen to those early episodes because, for me, this is a catalog of hunting tips that I can go back and listen to again. And I fast forward through my voice because I tend to put me to sleep. So (laughs) I fast forward through me and I listen to only what the guests on the show have to say. But, you know, it's the show's changing constantly, just like yours is. It's, you know, I feel like it's getting better every episode, just like I'm sure you do about your show. And I tend to agree with that. I think you we're all getting better with age. But it is, I mean, you're going to have, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody that is more infatuated and consumed with the sport of turkey hunting than I am. And I agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I just, I want all of the information I can get about it. And I thought that that infatuation would die off after a few years right. of getting into it. And it just seems to get more and more it gets stronger and stronger every single year interesting and and the great thing about it is that you always learn something new oh yeah no matter how far deep you're into something like we are turkey and deer hunting there's always something new that pops up just when you think there can't be there's no way and there's always something a new technique that oh, yeah. is some, something very simple but it's something that's unique and and separates itself from the rest that you can use and capitalize with. Right. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm glad Dusty chimed in here because I think this is an interesting segue to go from Andy, who has three grand slams under his belt, to Dusty, who just got his first bird the other day. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Dusty, I want to hear the story behind your first. It's an eastern turkey you're hunting in Ohio. Um, t- tell us about kind of how this all came together. And I know you had a couple challenges when you first started that didn't turn into a kill. So let's kind of go back a couple of years into where you started and, and then walk us through that hunt. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, turkey hunt for me has been a little bit of a struggle, um, not because of education or the will. It's been lack of location. And, yeah. and when I say that, you know, if you're in an area where turkeys are really just starting to up and come, which is just now getting really strong here where I'm at in Ohio, <clears throat> excuse me. 
but I, I struggled to get on the exact location of where the turkeys were roosting and hanging out and, and being able to go in and roost the birds on the property that I got. You know, here in Ohio, we got to have written permission to hunt uh, where anywhere that you hunt other than public land. So I, I decided that I was going to go private land and, and get permission on the farms where these turkeys were located. Well, you know, I tried and struggled to get permission, and I was always able to get next door. And it seemed like I, I was always able to get to the farm next door, the little piece next door. And, you know, when you when you go next door, there's usually a, a property line or a fence row that intersects you. And my first couple of years, I, I, I had turkeys that, you know, probably at one point in time, I had them at 25 yards, gobbling, strutting, just on the other side of the fence. You know, and that, to me, that's not a legal kill. So I didn't I didn't take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, and it was illegal. Uh, you know, I do an outdoor podcast and, and lead the right trail for other hunters to to look up and be an inspiration to. So therefore, I I passed the opportunity. But on on all all them opportunities, it, it taught me something every time. It, it, it teach me a new technique that you know I, I did this and it made the bird come, made the big tom come closer. They was definitely interested. But at the same time, I was learning from my mistakes. Maybe I was a little too close to the line. I wasn't giving that bird enough room to cross the fence and come for the search of the hen that I was using the decoy for. Mm-hmm. You know, so throughout the whole season, I fought that. And, you know, and it was just beginner's error. But that that's okay. It educated me on what I needed to do in the future. I set up a little close to the line, a little too close to the line, thinking that, you know, this bird's just going to jump the fence, come running in, boom. That's not how it happens. You know, in some scenarios, it possibly could. This year was pretty crazy how it happened. But I, I learned to, to back away from that property line and give them some room to do their thing. You know, a turkey comes in, he's looking for something. So if he can see what he's looking for and he, and he can pick out that it's a decoy 15 yards on the other side of the fence, he's not going to cross that fence. Yep. Yeah, and I learned from that. So this was the setup before, this was your years up leading to this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, okay. so many times that I got in a situation where five steps I had to seal the deal. Five steps, one fence, jump one fence. I never could make it happen. So I just, you know, every, every time it would happen, the bird would strut for a half hour right in front of me. Just strut his guts out gobble you know drum a little bit like man you know he's right here why why can't he just make that final approach why can't he just hop the fence why can't he come across the property line but with that being said i I learned that that i might have you know you stop and replay the whole hunt what did i do wrong maybe i was a little too close to that property line maybe i should have backed up a little bit and give him room not where where he couldn't put a visual on my decoy make him cross over to the property that i was on before he put a visual on it and that just uh, somewhat of a rookie mistake, but I'm a, I'm admitting default, and I learn from my my mistakes. That gobbler, that tom, is saying the same thing about that hen that you were saying about the tom. Why will that hen not cross that fence and come over here to me? Because right. that's the natural order. The hens go to the gobblers, and that is exactly you hit the nail on the head. That gobbler was not coming underneath that fence, flying over that fence, going to run through that fence when he could see the hen on the other side. The hen's supposed to come to him. So Yeah, yeah. you know, looking back on it, that was just a mistake made and, and I learned from it. Yeah. I gotta thinking, man, you know, he, he's he's just he's right there. But he won't finish the deal because I'm not 
given him enough room to actually search for that hen a little bit more than than normal. Yeah, you know, they, they got a natural sense to come looking for things in a sense, but yet they they know that the hen's supposed to come to, to him. But he will close the distance mm-hmm. between him and the hen to help promote her to come to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it's an. I like to call it an unwritten rule between the gobbler and the hen that we'll split the distance. You come to me halfway, I'll come to you halfway. And it's not always halfway, just like a healthy relationship for us humans is. Sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 75-25. But you've got to figure out what what that percentage is that he's willing to, to give and take it. So, you know, if you make it real hard for him to come to you, he might only give you, if you need him to go 90%, you're most likely going to get 50-60% out of him to close that gap, 50-60%. to 60%. But if you can get to where you can close the gap on him a good bit and get him to come in the rest of the way, then you got something typically that you can work with. But yeah, you nailed it in your case. And that's that's exactly how I learned over the years was what did I do wrong? You know, and you replay, just like you said, you replay that hunt over, over and over and over in your head until you figure out what it is. And then you correct that and you try the new way. And if it works, there goes a little check mark in the in that strategy and it goes in the turkey hunting book in your brain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree to that more. But, you know, there, there's times that I was quitting turkey hunting. I, I was I was disgusted. I had this turkey at 25 yards and I couldn't shoot him. I was, I was like disgusted with it. But yeah. yet I knew that I was doing the calling right. I knew that I, I was, you know, putting in the 110% effort to make this happen. So why not try to adjust some things and try to make it happen and, and, and keep adjusting until you, you know, seal the deal. And, and that's what I did this year. You know, I went out with uh, with some better uh, techniques in my mind and what I learned from previous years. And, and, uh, I, I put that in the work and, and I sealed the deal this year, you know, and we'll get in the hunt here. Uh, I, I got permission on a farm South of where I live here in, in Ohio. And, uh, you know, the, the guy had called me and said, Hey, you know, do you turkey hunt? And, uh, I said, yeah, you know, I turkey hunt. And we got talking a little bit and really nothing, he never said anything to me, really. And uh, I think he kind of got caught up in the other conversation and kind of forgot. So one day I was just, uh, I was driving down by his place and I said, I'm going to stop in and see my old buddy Cliff. So I slid in there and, uh, you know, started talking about the weather and the crops getting ready to go in the ground and this and that. And, uh, you know, I just looked out in the field and sure enough, there were three big strutters walking right along the edge of his field. I'm like, man, is, is that turkeys, Cliff? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of them down here. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I called you the other day to tell you that I seen five toms and like six hens in this field. I'm like, no kidding. So, you know, we started talking a little bit. And I said, hey, by chance, do you have anybody turkey hunt? He said, no, not at all. And then I, I you know, I just led into, would, would you allow somebody to turkey hunt? And I deer hunted there previous years before, a great family friend. And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, he said, I, I, I would like to see you kill one here. So I said, great. You know, I'll, I'll come back another day. And at the time, I was kind of in a hurry. And I said, I'll come back another day and get rid of permission. So I slid back down there, I don't know, maybe a week later. Season was getting ready to open, I think, on on uh, the week after I, I talked to him. So I said, I'll be back in a couple of days. I'll, I'll get you right me out permission. I want to do a little walk around back there and just check things out. And so I, I went back and he wrote me permission and. I said, I'm going to go for a walk and check it out back here. He said, oh, yeah, no problem at all. So anyway, I, I, years before, I got really close to the property line because I knew the turkeys were on the neighboring place. I, I've seen them. I knew that 
They was roosting there. I'd been out there many Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. I could actually watch them fly down. And I knew that they was on the adjoining property where I could get permission. Now, in this place, I knew that they were on this property, but I, I didn't have any clue of where they was roosting or bedding. Um, I went out a couple days prior to season and tried to just call or you know do an owl call just to see if they're roosting. I, I never heard nothing. You know, was I too early? Maybe. Was I too late? couple times maybe i you know not real for sure but anyway leading into season you know season opened up and i'm uh got down there and, and the first day i was there had nothing you know got, kind of got discouraged i called just a slight little bit and to see if i could get any kind of response at all and uh nothing you know so you know no big deal so then i uh i decided to go back to the next day and it was sprinkling a little bit and calling for heavy rain coming in. I got down there uh, right, right before dark, just took off walking. I just went back and sat down at kind of the closest point to the barns before the, the pasture fields and the, the woods took off. I sat down and thought, man, if I could just hear something gobble on the roost, maybe I could slide in because I, I don't know where these birds are. So I thought maybe I could slide in and, and, and get on one. And uh, so then I uh, sat there, sat there, sat there, no gobble, nothing. I said, oh, I'm just going to take a little walk and, and just listen and walk a little bit and listen. And still that day, I, I didn't hear nothing. So, you know, whatever. It's just another day turkey hunting, right? So the the following weekend comes along and, and I'm, you know, debating on I got two places I can turkey hunt. I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to go check this other place real quick. So I went and checked another place. And this is on a, on Sunday morning, which would be the... Um, like the 26th i guess it was so i went out to another place and called a little bit no response uh, and said, ah, I, i'm not going to waste my whole day out here i decided to go down to this other place south of me here so i pulled in it was probably eight o'clock and i said i'm just going to take off walking and, and see what happens for the morning you know and it, it was just one of them things where luck of the draw that when i showed up that them them birds are really hammering the gobbles pulled in took off walking i had to go up big old hill and, and got up to a pasture field and there's like a, a cattle crossover where the two fields the cattle can pass through between the two pastures i get up there and um, i'm just walking along in kind of a grass meadow pasture field and i'm like you know i'm, I'm gonna go to the left and i don't know what made me go to the left this morning but I, I decided to go to the left and walk through the pasture crossover the cattle crossover in the pastures and i got about halfway across it and man i heard a gobble i said oh man I, you know you hear a gobble in the woods you're you're 100 clear of that you know exactly as soon as it strikes what it is it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up anybody agree with that <laughs> yeah it does oh yeah <laughs> you know i i knew right away i said man i hear a gobble i, I know i did so i'm i'm just at this point you go into almost into sniper mode to ease around kind of squat down and almost bend over and walk so you don't get seen so i just ease on a little bit more and it gobbles again I'm like, man I, I know i know that's a gobble for sure I, my mind wasn't playing games with me today so sure enough i, I just eased on over i thought i heard the gobbling you know with with 100 caution and my eyes wide open to look around and and my whole goal was to see them before they got eye on me so i walked back through there and real gently you know and and i, I put a visual on where they were at this point in time they was right right on the farm where i could hunt they was on my side of the fence and they was gobbling their guts out there's two toms together mm. i'm like man you know it's on now and these birds were gobbling it was almost one of them things where my mind right then when when they both started hammering gobbling real hard that i knew that these birds were definitely huntable killable birds they was advertising that they were hot so at that point in time i just i just stood there all i could do was stay and watch i was in a bad spot i kneeled down and where i could get a visual on them and they was kind of down the hill probably 350 yards at this point 
So I just watched them, and you know that's all I could do was watch. I really didn't want to make a power move and try to slide decoy out. I knew the distance between them and me was too far, so I let them. I just let them do their thing. They strutted out in the field, and finally they worked kind of towards the back of the property, and and I was able to see them jump the fence. And when they jump the fence, it's like throwing a bowling ball over and watching it crash. <laughs> so they got they got across the fence, you know, and to the left was like a tree line, and they're out in. in corn stalks where they'd shell corn the previous year and the stalks are still standing and these birds kind of cut to the left and, and got in this tree line you know you got probably got a i'm guessing a 50 to 75 acre cornfield and then to the left of it uh kind of a little wood patch maybe five acre wood patch to the right it's almost a big valley almost like a holler down through there so they go to the left and they get behind the trees where i visually can't see them at this point in time they're still gobbling real hard i, I just dropped i think i had uh Two hens, a Jake, and a Tom with me. I drop everything but one hen. I just take off running. And I, I, I run down to the bottom where I, I was had like a, a, a low visual line that they, they probably were likely not to be able to see me running up this tree line now across this pasture. So I just take off running, you know, and I get I get about, I'm going to say I'm 50 yards from the, the property line. And at this point in time, previous years is kicking in, you know, you don't make the same mistake you did the years before. Back off the line a little bit. Hide the decoy behind a tree that's in their visual line. So they, if they hear the sound and they start to close the distance to find the sound of me calling, that I want them to cross the fence before they can get a visual on this decoy. So I go out and I walk off 20 yards as fast as I can. I mean, I, I'm, I'm breathing hard, running. I walk off 20 yards. I slam the decoy in the ground and get her real firm so she won't spin in the wind. And I put tail facing them with the head facing, the decoy head facing right at me. And I'd take off and run back, and i slide up in the just two cedar trees that were right out in the middle of this pasture field. There's probably altogether 40 cedar trees out in the middle of this pasture, but they're all spread out. So I put a cedar tree between me and them. I could see the fence that they got to get across or the tree line that they got to come around to get to me. But I, I, I can get a visual on them. They likely cannot get a visual on my decoy until they come closer. So I, I take it. And real softly, I, I hit the call. Just, you know, just real easy, just to get them to, to give me a response gobble at it. And, and they hammered it, both of them, same time. Loud, man. It sounded like it was thundering out there. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, once they once they struck to the first real soft call, at that point in time, I'm I'm trying to make them think that I'm farther than I actually am by being real easy with the call, not much sound, you know, just barely just a you know, and then I did a couple purrs, like you know, maybe a feeding purr, and, and just let them come. Once they hit the gobble, once they started working my way. Every time they gobble, they would sound closer. I let them gobble about three times before I would hit anything. They'd come and I'd, they'd gobble. And the third one, I'd just give them a real, you know, real easy, making them come to me a little bit. But as they get closer, now at this point, they're, they're sounding like they're just on the other side of the fence. I'm like, man, you know, this is crazy. I'm like, this this may happen. I may be set up just right. Everything that I learned the years before may just be getting ready to, to make it work for me. So at this point in time, they're, they're strutting up along the fence. I can see them. Took me a little bit, you know, what seems like half a day, more like 30 seconds, they got to the fence, you know, but it was probably three or four minutes. It took them to, to get back to the fence and they're strutting the fence line. I'm like, yep, this is going to end up just the way the last one did. <laughs> Watch him strut the fence. Right. So uh, at this time, they they really can't, see the decoy at all it's working out perfect because they're wanting to find what they're hearing like they're, they're so interested and they're gobbling trying to force her to, to talk so i'm thinking man you know i'm just going to lay low i'm gonna let them keep gobbling for a minute they probably gobbled five times 
So at this point in time, I'm kind of semi set up on a on a shot when they come across. I'm I'm down on my butt with my knee up, got my gun across my knee. I got my call laying right beside my leg where I could reach the striker and just barely, you know, just hit a couple times, force them back in the goblin, force them back into looking for what they're hearing, make them want to come. You know, it's one of them things where they're willing to come this far. They're going to cross the fence because they're hot. These birds were hot. So I hit it one more time. They jumped the fence. And like I said, it was like throwing a sack of seed across the fence and watching it flop. And then the sack of seed stands back up. <laughs> so, so, they, so they both cross the fence. They're looking around. They, they still can't get a visual on my decoy, but they're on my side of the fence now. I'm like, here we go. This is, this is perfect. They've come this far. They're going to come another 25 yards looking for this decoy. I guarantee it. They've crossed the fence. They're hot. So at this point in time, they're looking around. I can see them. I'm tucked up under a cedar tree. I got two shooting holes broke out of the limbs. I'm pretty camouflaged. I said, I'm going to give them one more call. I'm going to force them to gobble, force them to think that, you know, she's not very far. So at that time, I did it just a little bit louder than I did before to make their, make them think that, you know, I made some distance. I want them to think that I'm coming closer. So I gave her a little louder call and, and force them back in the goblin. They come out of the fence line, which is probably 10, 10 yards wide, tall weed, grass, few little trees. At this time, they're, they're bumping into each other. They're strutting so hard back and forth. They're just pretty much rubbing chest, going by each other. <laughs> That's awesome. So they, they work, they strut all the way down to me. They come out, strut across this little, there's a little valley between me and them. And and as soon as they come up the valley, they're, they're at 22 yards because I've done walk my decoy off. She's about two yards up this valley side. Once they once they hit the valley, they're at 22 yards. I'm going to let them come. I, I probably should have let these birds come in and really got a show out of them because once they cross the valley, they come up and it was back in the full strut. Both of them back and forth, turn and tail whipping, you know, they, they sail, tail to one side, turn, tail the other side. They were strutting really hard. They gobbled one more time and, and the one started to let out of his strut and I smoked him. Nice. Awesome. Boom. So. Nice. When they came across the little valley there, and you said they were strutting and pirouetting, could they see the hen decoy at that point? Yeah, as soon as they crossed the valley, they could see the hen decoy. Awesome. They was locked in on her, and they could care less. I probably could have got up and ran after them. Mm. <laughs> Man, that's fun. That's awesome. Oh, it was a blast. That was the one probably, yeah, I've shot some nice bucks. Man, I've, I've <laughs> been real fortunate. But I don't know. This turkey hunt about got it. Me hooked maybe a little harder than the deer hunting. <laughs> uh, it'll do that. Yeah, it'll one. You, you know what? I've heard like numerous people. This, this is what probably sours me the most. You know, people say, yeah, "I went out, with my buddy. We we're running, gun up. We spot and stalked him, and I ran up on this bird and I shot it." I said, "Oh my god, man! No wonder you don't like deer turkey hunting." Yeah, I say if you get a big mature tom, you know my, my one I shot's got ten three quarter inch beard, eight inch and a spurs. Not not a ginormous bird, but real proud of it for my first bird. And uh, you know I, I told him I said, hey man, you don't understand. You you did turkey hunting the wrong way. Oh yeah. Call call in a big strutter, two of them for that matter, and we we can only shoot one bird here in Ohio per day, so one tom per day for spring. Yeah. But, you know, it had been a real cool experience to have somebody like my daughter or somebody with me to, to shoot the other Tom and pull a double off my first one. It had been really cool. But it didn't happen, and it's okay. I'm okay with that. But, you know, till you, till you experience a nice strutter coming in and strutting and gobbling, yeah. you've not turkey hunted. I like yeah. I liked what you just said there, Dusty. I agree with that. And it's uh, 
until you have that full experience, it's really, yeah, it's, 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 you can't really imagine it if you're just running and gunning. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody says, oh yeah, we ran, you know, way around the edge of this ridge and we cut them off. And as soon as they stopped over the hill, we smoked them. Well, that's great. You killed a turkey, but you didn't get the experience of the turkey goblin. You didn't get the experience of the turkey strutting or drumming. You know, these two birds were drumming their head off whenever they couldn't see the decoy. You know, just they was making a fool of themselves because that's what they do. That's that's their whole intention. Yep. But, you that, know, that ahead. is the most amazing sound to me. It, it's I... a sound you'll never, ever mistakenly mix up with any other sound in the woods. I cannot get enough of that sound. If I if I had an app on my phone and I could make that my sleep noise for my <laughs> white noise app that I have, right. I, I would. That's what I would use. I love to hear a turkey drum. It's just fascinating to me. Where does that sound come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's easy to tell where a gobble comes from. Right. Where does it? Where does that drum come from? And it is when you're close to one. And he's drumming. You can feel it. I mean, it's just yeah. like, it's just inside you, like a train rumbling by. I mean, it's, God. It is one of the most bizarre sounds I've ever heard in the woods. I love it. it. Period. Just, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a sound that, I'm going to say this because a lot of first-time hunters are going to experience this. It's a sound that makes you look their way. If you got a bird that's coming in from behind you and you don't know it, and he's not gobbled because he's close enough that he feels like he's on the search for what's calling for him, and he starts drumming, it's a sound. If you don't recognize the sound of that drum, you're going to be like, what in the world is that? Yeah. You're going to turn around and be like, man, that, that freaked me out. It make, It's almost like <clears throat> one of the thoughts that goes through my mind is, that's the sound I would hear if a spaceship was dropping out of the sky to pick me up. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. When I first started hunting, I had someone tell me about a turkey drumming. And I said, well, what does it sound like? And they said, imagine a truck being stuck in the mud in the woods. And you hear the tire spinning. Right. But before that, you hear the door open and you hear, you know, maybe you hear it open and close, but you hear the the door close and then you hear the tire spin and you hear. Right. And you're a pro. <laughs> I told you I, it was good. I told you. I wish. Good. You're a pro. <laughs> I wish. I wish somebody but, told me that because I think that right there cost me my first ever time. Well, you know, the first time I heard it. I had this turkey goblin and he was about a hundred yards off and I'm calling and I, I'm out in the woods by myself. I'm new to the sport. I don't know anything. I know nothing. And all I know is I can cluck and I can yelp to what I think sounds like a hen turkey. Probably in retrospect sounded nothing like it, but I had a turkey interested and he was gobbling and I'm sitting in just some beautiful hardwoods and the turkey quits gobbling and I'm, I am probably a hundred yards from the property line and I hear, and I said, what was that? And I said, one of the neighbors is over there on the property line and he's stuck (laughs) in his truck in the mud and he keeps getting in and out and he's slamming the door and then I can hear the tire spinning like he's trying to back up and you know, trying to go forward. I'm like, God, I can't, he's messed up my turkey hunt. <laughs> and then about 
10 minutes after the first time I heard it. I've been hearing this turkey drum for about 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, the light bulb goes off in my head and I said, holy cow, that's not an idiot neighbor over there in his truck. That's a turkey drumming. But that is about the most accurate description of what it sounds like to me, at least here in in the hardwoods in Alabama. But God, it is, it's just a fascinating sound to me. I absolutely love that sound. Yeah. Well, Dusty, congratulations on your first bird. Yeah. It's so Heck cool. yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, That's it's awesome. definitely a great story, too, by the way. Yeah. Was, um, one of them experiences that, <clears throat> you know, you, you'll never forget. I, I, I heard all kinds of great things about turkey hunting and the experiences, and I heard a lot of negativity about turkey hunting from other hunters and it's one of them things where if you actually go in and sit down and call a bird in that's coming in strutting, drumming, gobbling, you'll 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 never want to not do that. Yeah, you know, it just it's one of them things where uh, it's it's one of the experiences in my life that it, it changed me. It, it made me look at turkey hunting. It, it, it's not really the the kill that really excited me. It, it was that bird coming in and, and for my my experience, two birds that were coming in and putting this show on, you know, and, and just blessed to be able to, to, to get a shot. But when you, when you can watch that bird strut in and that beard's hanging down there and, you know, you're able to look at another bird and his beard's hanging down and you're like, I'm going to shoot the biggest, longest beard in the group here. And, and they're at 22 yards and, and they're strutting and they're gobbling. It, you, there's no other experience out there that's like that. It is a great natural high. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I always, when I shoot a turkey, am a little bit sad because I know that tomorrow when I go into the woods, I'm not going to hear that turkey. Right. And, hey, I love putting the meat in the freezer and I love cooking it and eating it. There's nothing like it. And I love the memory of that hunt. But I love to go and interact with those birds. And I enjoy the whole experience. And I would be perfectly happy going without a gun and a camera. But hard to fill that freezer with a camera. This is true. This is true. So let, let's kind of uh, go to the next level here, Andy. And so we've established that Dusty's first bird, um, a, a fairly new turkey hunter great outdoorsman yeah Yeah. to you who is one of the most experienced turkey hunters that i know who do you now turn to for guests on your show and what tips have you picked up from some people that you think are better hunters than you are you're gonna say i'm being modest but i know a lot of hunters who are better than i am and i know a lot of hunters who are better than i am who are not famous but i have been very fortunate to have some very, very good turkey hunters on the show, like Cuz Strickland with Mossy Oak. And a lot of people will tell you that Cuz is one of the best, if not the best turkey hunters that they've hunted with. And when I say people, I'm talking about people that I consider to be excellent turkey hunters, like Colonel Tom Kelly, Eddie Salter. When you have people like that saying that one of the best turkey hunters they know or the best turkey hunter they know is Cuz Strickland, that speaks volumes. So I've had Cuz Strickland on the show. Cuz is what you see with Cuz is what you get. So when you're watching a show or a video that has Cuz in it and you see this down home, laid back, easygoing guy, that is who he is. He's not putting on airs. He's just as nice as he can be. And 
You know, one thing that I learned from Cuz is he made a very interesting statement when I was interviewing him. He said, you know, I feel like people walk past the vast majority of gobblers on their property Hmm. when they're hunting. He said that a lot of times he'll be hunting with someone, and if he's hunting on someone else's property, he's going to let them call and let them do their thing as courtesy, a sign of respect. It's what you do. You know, when I go hunting with someone, they invite me to come hunting with them. I'm not going to step all over their toes and try to be something I'm not, this, you know, great know-it-all turkey hunter. So I'm going to let them lead. And so when he does that, he lets them lead and they'll stop and call and run through their series of calls. And he said that a lot of times he can get a turkey to gobble that they can't get to gobble just by taking a tube call Hmm. and just doing a simple two or three note, very loud series of clucks in the form of a cut. Okay. But, you know, he'll do it just two or three, whereas a cut is going to be clucks that are in succession of eight to 10 to 12 in a series. He'll just do two or three and he'll go pop, pop with that tube call. And he says a lot of times that he feels like a lot of times those crows calling, the hawks screeching, the owls hooting mid-morning, the hen yelps and clucks that this other caller has made before him that is all kind of just welling up inside this gobbler and it's just you know he's just this close to gobbling but there's nothing quite that's pushed him to that point to where it makes him want to gobble right and he said a lot of times just doing that will get a turkey to gobble that nothing else has made gobble interesting yeah so try that out that might be something that'll that'll work when you're out trying to get a turkey to gobble midday or mid morning, late morning, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Tom Kelly, man, <laughs> <laughs> what a trip! Again, what you see is what you get with Colonel Kelly, right? And you know, I in the show, I typically will edit out any kind of profanities or anything like that in the show. It's just you know, <laughs> I want. I want people to be able to, they want to listen to it in their vehicle with their kids. I want them to be able to listen to the show. Right. I could not cut that out of the interview with Tom Kelly. It is who he is. If you cut that out, you're cutting out Tom Kelly. You may as well not even interview him. Right. But for me, in talking to Tom Kelly, he is a wealth of knowledge on turkey hunting, but the man is a forester. Right. And if you want to know about habitat and what turkeys like, as far as habitat's concerned, how to improve your property, the habitat on your property. He is an excellent source at that kind of information. And something that may or may not mean anything to most of the people in the country here in the South, where we do farm a lot of pine trees, I learned from him that the habitat in the South really has not changed over the last hundred or so years in that we have the same number of pine, of acres planted in pine trees today that we did back 100 years ago. And we have about the same amount of oak hardwood acres today as we did 100 years ago. And I found that very interesting as I drive around the south and I see all these pine plantations, you know, and it's, they seem to go on for miles. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Eddie Salter is another one of those guys that I've interviewed that is just a wealth of information. And 
you know, he is, some people say that he kind of pioneered the run and gun technique, Okay, but he is very aggressive. He will stop in an area that you would look at and go, man, this is a desert. Nothing's living here, not even a turkey. And he'll stop there and he'll call. And he has the attitude and the approach that every time he stops to call, he's going to get a turkey to gobble. And, you know, turkey hunting is a good bit like fishing in that if you have confidence when you go out into the woods, most likely you're going to succeed. Right. And, you know, that's something that a lot of, I think a lot of new hunters can pick up on. You don't have to be Eddie Salter with your calling skills. You don't have to be Chris Parrish with your calling skills. You don't need to be a grand national champion turkey caller. But if you have confidence in your calling abilities and confidence in the areas that you're hunting, you will have success in the woods. And, you know, you said something about Dusty a minute ago, and I'm going to kind of jump off of the topic of who I've had on the show and the tips that I've learned. But this is just so important, I feel like it needs to be said. What you said about Dusty that stood out to me above everything is he's an excellent woodsman. I will take an excellent woodsman over that Grand National turkey caller day in, day out, every single day of the season. because. Turkey calling, turkey hunting, I should say, some days is 90% calling and 10% everything else. But most days, 90% of turkey calling is everything else. And 5 to 10% of it would be calling. Right. And you take that person who's a good woodsman, who knows the woods, who knows that what Dusty said in his story of, I followed this little hollow just below the top of the hill. And I used that to close the distance between me and the turkeys because I knew the turkeys wouldn't be able to see me if I was below them. Right. Knowing that will kill more turkeys than trying to call those turkeys back 150 yards or 200 yards or 400 yards to you. Exactly. And I've got a friend who compared to all my other buddies is new to turkey hunting. He's been a hunter his whole life, but he's new to turkey hunting. And I hope he's not going to listen to this show (laughs) because he's going to know who I'm talking about. His calling skills are lax. Mm. They are, they're bad. He puts a diaphragm call in his mouth and it's, it sounds to me like a dying pig. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make him, he is going to cry if he listens to this episode of your podcast, (laughs) but he is an excellent woodsman and he kills turkeys despite his calling because he knows how to hunt and he knows the woods that he hunts in and man it makes all the difference in the world all the difference in the world so when you say dusty's an excellent woodsman i'm not surprised at all that that helped in killing his first turkey and it will help in killing many many more turkeys for him I completely agree. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've gotten off the subject of what we were talking about, but I just had to talk about it because it's so important. It really is, and right. and people get so hung up on turkey calling instead of turkey hunting. Right. And you use a lot of the same skills with turkey hunting that you do with deer hunting. And if you're a good deer hunter and you're a good woodsman, woods person, then you can be a good turkey hunter without being a good turkey caller. Gotcha. So. 
One of the things that I, I like to ask everybody, and oh, and by the way, we were on the subject of what, what are some of the best tips you've heard from your show. So if you're listening to this show, you're, you're just going to have to go to Andy's podcast and listen to all the tips. That's basically what it's going to come down to, uh, which I think is good because that's the beauty of a podcast. It's on demand. You can get it anytime you want and listen to it whenever you feel like it. One of the things I wanted to ask, Andy, is what is the one tool that you cannot leave at home? What's that one thing that you feel unlucky when you go in the woods if you left it back in your truck? When I'm turkey hunting, I feel completely naked without the turkey vest that has all of my calls and shotgun shells and butt cushion, right. clippers, all of that stuff in it. So maybe that's more like a toolbox. Right. And, and that counts. Absolutely. I can see but, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've done it. You know, from time to time, I have to ditch the vest to put what I like to call an Alabama low crawl on a turkey, Yep. just army crawling on a turkey. And I don't want that vest hanging on every right. twig, sapling, stump, every, whatever it happens to be. So I'll drop the vest and I'll go on and proceed ahead, just me and the gun. Right. Gotcha. And I, I did it about three weeks ago, as a matter of fact, <laughs> ditch the vest, start crawling I get up about 30 yards from where I was, got to the tree that I wanted to get to without spooking the turkey. I'm excited. The turkey's over there gobbling. I'm thinking I'm about to seal the deal. I'm going to make one call, and he is going to fall all over himself to come to me. <laughs> I lean up against the tree, gun on the knee, and I don't have a single turkey call with me. Ugh. Everything is in my vest. Ugh. And I am not Josh Carney. Right. My natural voice voice turkey call sounds like my buddy with a diaphragm call in his mouth. <laughs> Dying pig call. Right. You're not so going to pull a Josh Carney right then and there. Absolutely. I am no Josh Carney. No. Right. And so I sat there and let the turkey walk off a little bit further. And I eased on back and got my vest and tried to circle around to get in front of him and never could. But... That to me is is what I've got to have. I'm completely naked in the woods without that. Gotcha. If you had one book that you would recommend to somebody that just wanted to learn more about turkey hunting, what would it be? Oh, wow. Without a doubt, hands down, Illumination in the Flatwoods by Joe Hutto. Okay. It is amazing. If you want to learn about turkey hunting, you have to learn about turkeys. This book, for those of you that don't know about it, it's amazing. This guy, somebody brings a clutch of turkey eggs to his house, wild turkey eggs, to his house and drops them off. Hmm. He puts them in an incubator and begins to incubate these eggs, and he begins to imprint himself on these eggs as the turkey's mother. When the turkeys hatch, they are the first thing that he sees, and he starts communicating with these turkeys. These turkeys grow up thinking that this man is their mother. And for a year, a year and a half, something like that, he has these turkeys on his farm and they go out for walks in the woods. And he's taking notes of just what he's, he is observing during this time. And it is eye-opening. It is amazing. The fact that somebody would dedicate that amount of time to a project now he is a he is a biologist, so right. it's right in his wheelhouse. But that somebody would dedicate that amount of time to this project, to a study like that, 
is amazing because you think about the commitment that he had to make to those birds and not to his family. Right. And it's fascinating. And it's a relatively short book, a couple hundred, 300 pages, something like that. Yeah. But you'll get lost in it because he names the turkeys and they are char- they are true characters in this book. It's amazing. Can't say enough good stuff about it. I've heard that story before. I think I've seen a, a, a video clip on it. It is fascinating. That's a good. Yeah. If you want to learn your specimen, that's a great one to, to pick up. All yeah. right. And finally, what would be your number one tip of all time for turkey hunting? You cannot kill a turkey if you don't go hunting. I know it sounds stupid. Yes. Every opportunity you get to go turkey hunting, go. It doesn't matter if it's for an hour, go. This spring, we had some of the rainiest weather that we've had probably since I've started turkey hunting. And at times we would get a break in the rain for an hour and I would go, you've got to get into the woods or no one is to blame about your lack of success than you are. Right. So you've got to go turkey hunting. What's the old saying? 90% of success is being there or something of that nature. Yeah. 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 That's it. And I mean, it's, it's really basic and, a lot of people aren't going to look at that as being a tip. So I'll give you one tip okay? real quick, short, sweet, to the point. When you hear a turkey gobbling and you want to close the distance, you want to make sure that you can get to that turkey or that turkey can get to you, I should say, and, and have a chance of harvesting that turkey. Get as close as, you're, as you feel comfortable getting to that turkey to where you think that turkey's not going to see you. And then pick another tree five to ten yards closer. And go to that tree. Okay. Even if you have to belly crawl. Remember the Alabama low crawl. Interesting. That's a good one. Get get to that tree, set up. That five yards, that 10 yards has made the difference in me killing a bird a number of times. And if I'd stayed back where I felt comfortable to where I felt, well, this turkey's not going to be able to see me, so I'm going to sit right here, I wouldn't have been able to kill that bird. Right. Press the envelope, be a little bit more aggressive. Don't go crazy and go running up 30 yards five yards, 10 yards, get one tree closer and be safe. Gotcha. Love it. All right, Andy, how can we find you if we want to listen to your show? Thank you for asking. You can find my show, the Turkey Hunter Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And you can also find it on the Outdoor Podcast channel, which is also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. The Outdoor Podcast channel has a website that's outdoorpodcastchannel.com. You can find it on my website, which is IamTurkeyHunting.com. And you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at TurkeyHitman. You can find me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash IamTurkeyHunting. And I've given you the website already, IamTurkeyHunting.com. My friend, it has been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, we've been... We've been talking quite a bit ever since uh, that that fateful day on the the banks of the French Pond while I was trout hunting or t- yeah, trout hunting tr- trout fishing. Uh, yeah, and I just you know I've enjoyed your show. I've enjoyed uh, learning about you and getting to be friends with you over the last year or so. And uh, I'm just like we actually were able to pull this off and and do a show together. Yeah, me too. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the friendship with you and Dusty and. Look forward to hopefully getting both of you down here 
next season to do some turkey hunting. So we need to try to put that on the calendar, guys. That would be cool. We could have a full three months of turkey hunting if we time it right. Yeah, definitely. That would be amazing. Thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Thank you. You know, I've been turkey hunting a long time, and I thought I knew what I was doing until I met Andy Galliano. It's quite amazing the information that Andy packs in his mind about turkey hunting. It's amazing, and it's it's what is what is fascinating is that as much as I know Andy knows, and as modest as he is, and he won't admit that he's as good as he is at turkey hunting, he will go and interview people that he believes are fascinating and really good turkey hunters. And by doing so, he's created the great podcast over there at the Turkey Hunter Podcast, and it's on iTunes. You can find it right now. And he's on the Outdoor Podcast channel, just like we are. So um, if, if it, I know we didn't get to the topics that we wanted to in a, for a lot of the guests he's had on because we ran out of time, but if you'd like to go download all that stuff, just type in Turkey Hunter Podcast on iTunes. And you can engage in his entire catalog and get all those tips that we touched on in our show. Absolutely. It's just, I love listening to the show, especially this time of year when it's turkey season. And, and granted, you know, it's over in Alabama now. It starts early and then kind of gets into the, the, the your territory of the United States around Ohio and then finishes up in the Northeast where, where I am. So. If you're doing what Andy's doing, you could literally just like hunt from March through May. Yeah, it's crazy, ain't it? It is crazy for turkeys. It's it's awesome. So, Dusty, do we have a, a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? We do have Chubby Tines tip of the week. We do. Excellent. What do you yeah, got for we, me? We get into the springtime. You know what springtime brings out? The ticks. Ugh, I hate ticks. You know, regardless of what anybody's told you or, or what you do if, if you're out in the woods and you, you come home even if you're this there for five to ten minutes checking the trail camera you know you're taking that chance if you if you don't check yourself of getting the the lyme disease that that's you know getting more and more frequent and uh you know i'm just encouraging that you take the time to check yourself for ticks yes by far the number one thing you can do and i agree with you because we've had a had a special guest on our show not too long ago, talking all about ticks is to is that tick check. That's the best thing you can do to to make sure you don't get Lyme disease. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, I uh, thanks again to Andy for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast and going a little off subject here, although I think it is incredibly related. Even though we th- it's it's a totally different species of animal we're hunting. Uh, t- I think turkey hunting makes you a better deer hunter, and I think deer hunting makes you a better turkey hunter because at the end of the day. As Andy said, as I said about you, is that it's not necessarily about being the hunter. It's about being the woodsman, knowing the woods better than just about anything else. Yeah, if you take the time to to get to know the woods, it takes your hunt to the next level. It does. You've got to become one with the woods, basically, to become the most. I couldn't agree with that more. There's a lot of situations that if I didn't know the woods, I wouldn't have got the the harvest that I was after. That's right. Yep. And you, you are a novice turkey hunter. But you used your your wood skills and knowledge to to kill a, a nice bird. And oh yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, if it uh, if it wasn't for that knowledge of the woods, it might not have happened. Right. And your story, dude, I have to say, was killer. Just 
fantastic. Did a yeah, great job telling that story. Thank you. They always say the first bird story is always the best, but you know, I, I get jazzed <laughs> up. I get jazzed up about any hunting story, really. Right. I mean, it could be a story that uh, I missed or shot a doe. It doesn't matter. It's, it's being out there and, and collecting that basket of experiences, you know, and, and that basket's pretty large. You, I don't think you ever fill that basket of experiences. And just every time you go to the woods, something more unique and better happens. It's crazy. Yes. It draws you back every time. Very much so. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations on your first bird. And, uh, Thank you. I'm still chasing mine, but um, it uh, it'll happen. And it's every year I just like being, I just like hunting them. You know, I went out with my son and like, we let a bird walk, hoping that the bigger one would come up the hill, and it didn't. But I had to explain to my son that it's not about the kill; it's really about the hunt. And it's, it's really hard to teach a seven year old boy that, but you know. Uh, I think I got to plant the seed early. Oh yeah, definitely plant the seed early and make him understand the the whole experience, not just the one experience. Right. Yep. Very much so. Granted, it, I would have let him shoot that bird, but it was day one. So let's let's get into the season a little bit more and have some more fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just it's better things to come when you're turkey hunting. Yeah, and it's one and done in New Hampshire anyway. So if I had pulled the trigger, I wouldn't. I would would have missed the, the remainder. Uh, 28 days of hunting so i didn't want to do that you're right completely understandable yep well good man well, this has been a fantastic show uh you can find where can we find you dusty online you can uh, shoot me an email at dusty at com. you can also check me out at facebook.com forward slash chubby gobbler facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors jay where can the people find you when you're not on the mic all right, we can find me on Facebook, or you can find the Big Buck Registry on Facebook at bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Facebook. You can also find us at Twitter. It's twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. You can always give us a call at 724-613-2825 and share your hunting story with us. We love hearing uh, even just shorts, you know, little little snippets of your of your hunt about a big deer you shot. Uh, we love that. You can always email me, jay at bigbuckregistry.com. If you're interested in sponsoring this show, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash sponsor. You can read all about our sponsorship opportunities. You can also pledge. If you're a listener, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. You can, if you have shot a big deer and you'd like to get your photo featured on the Big Buck Facebook page and get it in front of 155-ish thousand followers and be famous for a day, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck. And I believe that is it. That's a lot. Did I miss anything? Big buck, big buck everywhere. Big buck. buck. No, I think you covered it all, Jay. Awesome, man. What a great show. Great show. Just nice to change it up a little bit. Yeah, we shout out to all turkey hunters and best of luck in the turkey woods. Yep. So if your season's over, I'm sorry. Hopefully you got one. But if uh, you're still hunting, keep up the great hunt, and uh, we'll see you in the turkey woods. And uh, it'll be deer season very soon. Absolutely. It's not too far away, really. You know, time to get that mineral out, get it, get it down, and get the herd healthy, and, and get on with the program of antler growth. Absolutely. I'm Dusty Phillips. I'm Jay Scott. And you're listening to another episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.